The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode number 110 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for joining us again this week because we have a fantastic show. But before we get into the episode, I want to thank one of our listeners on Apple Podcast, R. Madison Z, or maybe it's R. Madison's. But thank you so much for your five-star review. We really appreciate it. We also want to give a shout out to some friends of ours uh, who run the most incredible little shop. It's called Bricks and Minifigs. And you may have seen these in your area, but each one is independently owned. And dear friends of mine run the one out in Orange County in Southern California. It's uh, actually in Fullerton, but that's right in the Anaheim area there. If you go check out Bricks and Minifigs, anaheim.com. And that's Minifigs, F-I-G-S, short for figurines. It is a Lego reseller store and it's incredible you can go to their website and order I've, I've probably spent the last 15 minutes surfing their website seeing all the cool little figurines that they have uh, and the full play sets they sell all different kinds of legos you can buy bulk sets you can buy individual figures new sets used sets if you have a lego fan in your life christmas is coming up Check out Bricks and Minifigs, Anaheim.com. They will take care of you. They can ship to you anywhere. And if you're in Orange County, if you're in the area, stop by. Their shop is so much fun. It's just amazing what they have in there. That's Bricks and Minifigs, Anaheim.com. This week on the show, my guests, Andrew Knopp and Sal Voluto, incredible men doing such a cool work. They are doing a a graphic novel version of The First Vision. If you're not familiar with the phrase graphic novel, it has nothing to do with graphic, like anything bad, like graphic violence. It's graphics, like the graphics. It's basically a grown-up comic book uh, and just a beautiful art form. These are true artists doing such a great work. They're doing this graphic novel of The First Vision, and they shared with me some of the pages, and it's a stunning work. Really, really cool stuff. And this week in my Latter-day life, I'll tell you a lesson I learned from my children and some of their friends about all the different ways we love the Savior. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, here in the Latter-day Live studios, I have two men working on one of the most exciting projects I've seen in a very, very long time. Uh, Sal Valuto and Andrew Knopp, welcome to the show. Hello, Sean. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you guys here. Uh, The project we're going to be talking about, Pillar of Light, I am just, I could not be more excited about it. But before we get into the project and everything it is... Uh, we want to hear a little bit about you guys and uh, a little bit about your history. Who should we start with? Oh, yeah, you both motioned to each other. We How about Sal? pointed to each other. Sal, why don't we go with you first? Okay. Uh, my name is Sal Velluto. I'm originally from Italy, and uh, I've been living in Utah now for more than 30 years. So, Where are you from in Italy, Sal? I'm uh, from... Uh, nice coast town in southern Italy called Taranto. 
okay. which is located uh, in the arch of the booth. Oh, yeah. Right in the ticklish part of the foot of Italy. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's a nice, nice little town. Um, quite uh, the opposite as the, you know, the, the panoramic view is, uh, you know, it's, it's just ocean and beaches in the 180 degrees from the nice uh, snowy mountains of Utah. Very different. Uh, nonetheless, uh, um, I consider Utah uh, my home and... Uh, uh, I consider myself officially uh, Utalian. Utalian? Uh, being <laughs> half, half Italian, Italian. Half Italian. Yeah. Uh, uh, and um, have um, a family here, a, a wife, uh, four children, and uh, just one grandchild that uh, was born three weeks ago. Oh, congratulations. So we have three generations uh, of Velluto in the United States uh, for the first time in history. So, um, Awesome. Now, were you born into the church, or are you I a was not. I'm a convert. Um, I joined the church uh, at the age of uh, 17. Uh, after um, two years, I had to wait for permission for baptism from my parents, and uh, I was supposed to wait until I was 18. Nonetheless, uh, um, I was able to get it, and that, that's a story in itself. Um, at the time, this is back in, in 1971, Italy. Yeah. So we're talking about the very beginning of the church. Right. The church in Italy was uh, re-established in uh, 1966, 67. Huh. Um, and uh, so we're talking about small branch. Very few people, yeah. and uh, I I was attending the branch. I wasn't baptized, nonetheless. I I had some callings in the church too, <laughs> uh, including you know uh, teacher for the uh, junior Sunday school. Yeah, and that basically dates me, you know, for those who remember what that is. Junior Sunday uh, school. Junior Sunday school. Yeah, sure. Um, so I I had. Uh, I had callings. I, I joined the church. I was 17, and uh, um, the church has changed my life. The gospel has changed my life. Awesome. Um, and uh, it continues to change it and puts my life in perspective. And uh, what, what uh, brought you to the U.S.? Um, initially, just uh, tourism. Uh, I came to, after several years of uh, meeting missionaries that came over, you know, to my house and stayed and e ate and all, everything, you know, the, the most spontaneous reaction with these elders, you know, you have to come to my house. I want you as my guest. Yeah. So I guess after a while, all these, uh, and, you know, invitation piled up and I couldn't resist anymore. And I came, awesome. attended general conference. And uh, eventually I... I met my wife, who happened to have been uh, a missionary in Italy as well. Now, is she Italian? She No, she, she is from Provo. She's from Provo, but served in Italy. She served in Italy, and I never met her, you know, while she was in her mission. But uh, when I came over here, I met her in a singles ward. And so I, eventually that became the the reason for me to stay a little bit longer and then uh, decide in to stay for the rest of my life. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, so that's uh, 
that's uh, in a nutshell, you know, uh, why am I here? You know, that's great. No, that's a great answer. So, and you've had a fascinating career, an exciting career. Tell us what you've done. Well, it always been my dream since I was a little kid to draw comic books. Um, I remember when uh, I, I was uh, 12 years old, um, I sent one of my little doodles to the Italian Batman magazine. And uh, after a few months, I saw that published uh, in this magazine, like the fan art, you know. Really? The, and uh, so that was kind of, you know, my my inspiration, my eureka moment, my the, my omen, you know. This, yeah. This, I like to be do a comic book that? artist. I still do. That's incredible. I still do. And um, so um, I completed my studies. Uh, uh, later on, I attended the Fine Arts Academy in Italy, um, uh, but uh, I did not have any experience as far as comics. Um, after I came to the United States, I was able to start, after I got married and so forth, I was able to, to start uh, uh, in earnest in, uh, in animation. And uh, I, I worked on several um, Saturday morning cartoons um, that probably all the younger audience of this podcast probably watched as kids. And um, tell us some of the uh, uh some of the titles that I worked on uh, were uh, like Spider Man and His Amazing Friends, wow, The Incredible Hulk, Transformers, <laughs> um, some more uh, interesting ones like uh, uh, Mr. T or Chuck Norris and his Karate Commandos, yes, or Punky Brewster for the, the female audience that uh was young at, in the, in the 80s. Um, were you, where were you living while you were doing that? In Salt Lake City. In Salt Lake uh, there City. There was a, a studio here in Salt Lake called Exam Production. And uh, we used to do uh, both storyboards and layouts for uh, all these animated shows. Layouts are when you do all the, the, the preparatory part for the for the animation like uh, the key poses of the characters yeah like the beginning pose the ending pose you know if it's pull, if it's pulling a punch you know you do it like it's pulling it back and then all the way forward and then you do the background you know where the, this action is going to take place and um, all the stuff then it was you know sent to korea f to do the actual animation which is like ah. the, the 12 frames per second animation is like a, a little bit sh uh, slower yeah. you know than actual movies which is double that amount of frames so i got my beginning in animation but i was pursuing uh my lifelong dream of of um, of doing comic books and for a series of circumstances serendipitous circumstances or coincidental or um whatever you want to call them I I was able to send some samples to Marvel Comics and uh, uh, receive receive a response from Not, Marvel Comics. From Marvel I mean, Comics, that's the pinnacle. That's the biggest. That's there's nothing bigger than Marvel Comics. Yes, and imagine you know how, how much bigger that is for someone who uh, 
not only was a fan of Marvel Comics in Italy, but um, was a fan of some of of the artists that worked for Marvel, worked for Marvel Comics, and uh, I had you know I was blessed not only to work for Marvel Comics but to work with some of the artists that I admire as a I was a kid uh, when I was a kid, and um, so that was the beginning. Almost, well, actually, it's more than 30 years ago. And uh, I was uh, blessed to work for DC Comics, to work for several independents. What were some of the comics you worked on? Um, I started with Marvel Comics. My very first was a, um, a title called Power Pack, which was for kids in uh, that had superhero powers. And uh, my my first regular series was called Moon Knight, which, by the way, is one of the one of the series that uh, is in production with uh, um, Disney Plus. Wow! Cur- currently, cool. uh, and I did others. Uh, my longest run with Marvel Comics was with Black Panther. Oh wow! Which uh, I ended up being the the most prolific artist. On that title, that is amazing, and that's a, that's another story. <laughs> that that that's another tangent that we're not going to take right now. But um, um, I I did all this work, and I, you know I then branched out and uh, uh, got to work on uh, perhaps the most historic comic book character in the history of comics, which is the Phantom. Huh. Which is that was created in 1938. It became the, the, the prototype for the modern superheroes. It was before, before Batman, before Superman. And uh, this character uh, you know, happens to, to be still published and uh, happens to be very, very popular in, uh, in Scandinavia huh. and in Australia. And uh, so, I I was able to to work on this character for the Scandinavian market, for the Australian market, and also for the American market, which uh, you know was quite a satisfaction for someone who's who's a fan of comics to work on the the most important, the most pivotal character in the history of comics. Nevertheless, nonetheless. All this kind of, you know, all comics are kind of disposable, mm. you know. And the heroes in comics are, you know, heroes that uh, um, are heroes of a different kind. Um, the heroes that I discovered eventually were the, a different kind of heroes. The, the heroes that in order, to, uh, in order to win, they have to sacrifice, Ah, okay. And, and, and so that that's the Christ model. Yeah, okay? right. And um, so I was able to work for uh, for the church doing uh, illustrations for the life of the presidents of the church ah. for two years, illustrating the, the life of uh, uh, Spencer W. Kimball and Wilford Woodruff for the Friend magazine. For It's a, the children magazine. Okay? Awesome. And uh, for two years, I did uh, uh, the life of the prophet Joseph Smith. So, you know, that's a different kind of comics. That's something that you cannot 
kind of, you know, take shortcuts or take for granted because it, those are comics with a purpose. Yeah, that's incredible. And, uh, you know, all of this eventually led to, to this project, which, we're, which we we're will going to get to. We'll touch we are, we're, we're, I'm, later. I'm, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit to get to that. Yeah. But I want to I make sure we get to know Andrew, but I've got just a couple more quick questions for you before we get to Andrew, and then we get to the big project we're here to talk about. Um, I want to make sure our audience understands how well-respected and revered you are in the comic book world. I mean, you do the Comic-Cons sometimes, or you do the events you know, you have your own fan base. You have people who just love your work. How how exciting is that? Well, that that is a responsibility, actually, especially when you you meet people in person, because uh, you know the, and especially when you meet younger people. Yeah, because you want to make sure that uh, you are a good example for them. Would it be fair to say that with great power comes great responsibility? Oh, that, yes. Sorry, I just came yes. up with it. Yes. I just did. I swear yeah. I wasn't planning and on And he doesn't that. know that this, you know, doesn't know anything. I mean, he just created that. Model. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. In a way, that that's true. Well, that's, that's true. it's awesome. Sal, what an, what an exciting life. I mean, just incredible. And I'm excited to get to this other project. But first of all, we got to get to know Andrew, and then we'll talk about how this all came together. Andrew, where are you from? Uh, I grew up in Oregon, uh, but came here to Utah to go to school, BYU, and uh, stayed here since uh, 1996. So I, I'm a transplanted Utahan, but I liked Utah lots better than Oregon, mostly, mostly because the sun shines and the rain isn't always raining. Yeah, so. but you're 25 years here. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. you're almost a, you, you yeah. got here the same time I did. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, <clears throat> yeah I grew up in Oregon. Uh, my, my parents joined the church. They were converts, and... I got the blessing of of being raised in the church, awesome. but uh, but like many of us, I'll always have to gain our own witness and our of own uh, testimony. And so, uh, yeah, uh, I so went on a mission. You grew up in Oregon. What mm-hmm. were, what were you into when you were a kid? I, you know, I was always into art. I was always into drawing and painting and all kinds of. Well, I guess I guess I wasn't doing a pottery or anything like that. But yeah, any. Drawing and like illustration, painting. yeah, art. that kind of art, yeah. yeah, very interested in. And I wanted to grow up and be Sal Valuto, but I didn't know at the time. <laughs> it was already taken. That's right. He, there was only <laughs> yeah, there can only, be, only one be one. Uh, but no, yeah, I was very interested in it. I, I took art classes in high school. I, I I got into a program that let me take college art classes while I was in high school, and they paid the tuition. And awesome. Wanted to do illustration full time. Went. Um, on a mission to Ohio, Cleveland, and uh, came back, went to BYU, went to the illustration program there, and uh, was planning on being a full-time illustrator. That was my kind of my goal. Um, and I seriously injured my painting arm really badly my last year at BYU. Oh, my gosh. How'd you injure it? Uh, Wait, is that I a wish- good story? Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's not, a, a, not a great story. It wasn't a one event. It was... It was uh, Repetitive stress injury hmm. came from working on working too long, too many hours. Um, what kind late. of painting were you doing? Like, I mean, was it realism? Was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was realism. It was it was hyper real stuff. Um, and uh, I was working, you know, twenty hours a week, going to school full time, and then I was doing these classes that you have to produce paintings for that took hours and hours to create, and I was slow. 
<laughs> so I just pushed it too hard and I pushed myself through it and thinking I'd just finish to get to graduation and I'd be able to rest it. But I, I kind of damaged it in a way that it hasn't really ever really cut, recovered completely. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the silver lining I, I always want to say with that story is, is it's part of what's brought me to this project and to some of the other ones I've done. Because um, when I realized that um, I only could do a limited amount of artwork, I couldn't do what I thought I was going to do. I couldn't do eight to 10 hours a day for the rest of my life. It was going to be a small amount. What's worth doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, can, I can see the pain, and I've, it's a, been a common theme on that couch of people being interviewed where they had a plan, and the Lord had a tweaked version of that plan. How hard is that to kind of let go and say, okay, I'm going to go with the Lord's tweaked version of what <laughs> yeah, I saw. Yeah, it takes a while. Uh, it takes a while to get used to. And sometimes it comes back like right now. I wasn't expecting that. Um, but, you know, you, 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 can turn, you can turn to the Lord or turn away. And, you yeah. know, I wasn't going to turn away, so... So anyway, uh, that's been challenging. I switched to graphic design um, to pay the bills and uh, uh, switched to my left hand. And uh, so after doing um, that, but you were born right-handed, yeah. and you now design left-handed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still use my right hand, but I had to use it a lot less. I couldn't use it as much as I could before. Do you consider yourself fully ambidextrous, <laughs> or is it only in art? It, it's not. I'm not fully ambidextrous. Like I can't write with my left hand. Okay. I can't like. So, I can't believe you can do it. I can't do anything with my left hand. <laughs> That's amazing to me. So so anyway, so um, that was my way of compensating for not for I couldn't use my right hand all the time. So I um, so do graphic design and been able to pay um, my bills and take care of my my family. Um, and you're married. Yes, uh huh. Married. I have three children, three sons. Awesome. How old are your sons? Uh, just turned oldest. Just turned fifteen. Uh, the next one's twelve, and the next one's ten. Great time in life. So yeah. That is fantastic. So are you, do you do design full-time? Is that yeah, your full-time yeah, job? Yeah, that's my full-time job. That's awesome. But uh, I've always had that lingering feeling back there of, of you, know, what, uh, you know, what talents you do have, what can you do good with them? And, um, and so I, I started looking for projects that I thought were worth the, the small amount of art I could do, the small amount I could participate yeah. in. Yeah. Um, and so I've done, I worked on a, a book project called The Book of Mormon on Trial, um, which mm. uh, was a book that was originally published back in 1964 that the author's son decided to bring back and add more stuff to. That's a fully illustrated book. It's, uh, it's very famous in, in LDS circles because yeah. it's been around for so long. That's awesome. Um, and it just, it basically answers claims, charges against the Book of Mormon in a, a mock courtroom. Yeah, and they um, recently did a video version of it. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, are you they, thinking of Day of Defense? No, no. They no? did a short video of it. Uh, oh, to, oh, yeah. I'll I share that with you. The church did that one. I have yeah. seen that one. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that was, yeah, that was a very much abbreviated. The, the Book of Mormon on Trial was, a, the new one is about 400 pages long. Yeah, this um, was just a mini. Right, right. Like, what would it look like if the Book of Mormon went on trial? Right. Yeah. But anyway, worked on that. Um, that was a lot of fun to do, and it was fully illustrated, and I'm a visual person. And um, I wasn't the artist in that, but I was the designer. I was the researcher. I helped write parts of it. Um, 
And so it was really satisfying to be a part of that. And then um, I always loved comic books. It was something I thought mm. I wanted to be a comic book artist. Um, never was good enough. And then the injury happened and I couldn't keep pursuing that. But um, I was like, where are the LDS comics? Where are they? Why has no one done them? Did you, you really, you had this thought, why do we not have comics, you know, based on Latter-day Saint history? Yeah, yeah, I did, because as a, as a comic book reader, uh, I felt very powerfully drawn to the medium. And as a medium, um, it's different, it's, it's a hybrid between film and, and writing. It's not the same as a picture book. People think about children's books, where you have text on one side and a picture on the yeah. other. That is not the same. Sequential comic books, it's, a, it's really a combination of film and, and, uh, and, and written words. And so the pacing, the angles, the paneling, all of that is more like a film experience. But it's unique from film in the sense that um, in film, the director controls the pace of the film, the speed of the film. It's all in the hands of the director. When you read a book, even though you're reading words written by an author, the author is still controlling the pacing. Mm, you can control yeah. how fast you read it, but that's not changing the pacing of the story. But with a sequential art, the viewer controls the speed. So when you're reading and you're looking at a panel, if you don't understand the action, you spend more time on that panel. When you're ready, you move to the next panel. And if you go two panels later and you realize you missed something, you can go back to that first panel and look at it again. And so sequential art is more powerful, I think, for younger people um, than sometimes film even is because you, you are able to absorb at your speed and, and I, as a reader, I was like, this is powerful. We need to communicate these powerful stories of the Restoration um, in this medium, but nobody was doing it. Um, I, I kind of learned later, um, part of the reason nobody was doing it is because it's really hard, <laughs> and it's really expensive, <laughs> and you don't make any money. <laughs> so those, those are the three things you know, that, that make it not something that people don't do. Which is what it does have in common with film. That's right. Yes. <laughs> film does hard have that. and expensive, and nobody makes money. <laughs> but uh, I came across, um, I, I was flipping through a friend for my kids. I saw Sal's stuff on Joseph Smith. And I was like, wait a minute, here it is. Where's, where have I been? Obviously, I wasn't reading The Friend much as an adult. But, sure. Um, I went back. I found all of them. I, I, I started clipping them all out, putting them together. I, I tried to ask the church, well, I asked the church for permission to try to republish all of those in a single book because mm. I was like, he was doing it um, basically full comic level. They, they were a little shorter pages because they took up the top of a, a header, but they were basically full comic book uh, quality. And they just weren't being reused. And uh, I tried for four years to get the church to give me permission. And they're like, no, no, no. So I'm like, fine, I can't do this. Did they answer? They answered no, or you just didn't get an answer? No, they answer. Oh, they answered they no. They answer no, yes. They said, Andrew, sorry, you're not uh, yeah. republishing them. Yeah, they didn't give me reasons. They don't give you reasons. No, they just of course. say no. But, yeah. um, so, and I started looking around, and I came across um, Mike Allred's um, Golden Plates. He had done... Um, uh, about 200 pages of full-blown comic book illustrations on the Book of Mormon. Hmm. And those had come out back in 2005, and there had been only three books, and then they kind of disappeared. And I didn't know what happened, so I'm like, hey, I'm going to contact this guy and see why they're not being reprinted and what's going on. And he's an active member, and has also done a lot of stuff for Marvel and DC. And Anyway, he said, I said, I need, we need to bring these back. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll let you bring it back. So I brought those back to print. They're available 
Um, now they were out of print before. How would people find that if they want to see those? You can find them at Amazon.com. If you just type my name in, Andrew Knopp, uh, K-N-A-U-P-P, you'll, all these books will pull up. The Book okay. of Mormon on Trial, Golden Plates. Um, but that was, uh, that was what I was working on because I couldn't get the church to give me permission to republish Sal's stuff. Right. And I had always had this feeling like I really wish we could tell the first vision as a comic. And back in 2003, I had actually written a script uh, taking all the four different accounts, the four primary accounts of Joseph Smith, and combining them into one. And I thought maybe I would get to it, and uh, I didn't get to it. But um, I, when I uh, found out about Sal's work, he was doing a show uh, signing at a, a local store on Free Comic Book Day. I went down there and met him. I gave him a printed... I, I had illegally put together from the online versions <laughs> a copy of all of his books into one. <laughs> and, uh, and gave him a copy, and uh, and I said, you know, I'd really like to get together and do a, you know, a first vision comic book. He actually wrote it as the dedication. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you wrote at the front of the book. I don't yeah. remember that. Did yeah, I write that? In, in Sal, you must cover. have been you must have been flattered. Like, what? What yes, is this? Yeah, no, I was touched, and uh, um, we had more than one conversation, you know, before this happened, and uh, it was just a matter of. Uh, finding the right time and i told them you know if it's meant to happen it will yeah and that was that was the that was the words that gave me hope not to quit asking because yeah. he's like well if it's if it's if it's meant to happen it'll happen and uh and so i took that as a glimmer of hope because uh you know i i didn't want to do the project um i have such respect for joseph smith as sal does and and for this story that's important to millions of people yeah that i didn't want to do it quick i didn't want to do it with an amateur, which meant I couldn't draw it. Um, and I didn't want to have it be one of those things that um, was not done not not to the highest quality that you could do. Um, and so I knew that if I couldn't get Sal to do it, there wasn't many others. Because even, it's gonna, it takes more than skill. You have to also have that spiritual um, side to you, you know. Yeah. And Sal had that. So anyway, um, kept... Uh, trying to figure out how to do it, trying to figure out how to do it, and uh, eventually it lined up with Sal's availability and my availability, and that's the short version of how it lined up. Yeah, I'll bet that was a long, <laughs> long story that you just made very It was short. about five years, I think. Was it really? This yeah. has been going on that long. I think it was... Well, one thing yeah. that needs to be said to Andrew's credit is the fact that from the beginning, he was able to sacrifice, even financially, mm. to to get this project done and i told him look this is really expensive you know if i have to work for on the, on a different project that pays less than what i'm making uh i'm basically losing money yeah. you know on stuff that i i could have done uh, elsewhere and it's not as if uh you know i i'm selfish but you know i have to support a family of course we all do yeah uh, on that and uh but that wasn't, uh, it ended up being a different kind of situation eventually. And uh, the financial aspect was taken care of in a different way. Wow. So that, you know, at, at the point that we decided to do this project, my other jobs that I was supposed to work on for a series of mysterious reasons slowed down 
which means that I didn't lose any any employment. You know, I'm still very well employed, but uh, the the project mm. stopped coming at the pace they used to, and created this marvelous opening um, to do this kind of thing at uh, a small for a smaller budget. Yeah, with the same quality, and. What also needs to be said that Andrew uh, still that superpower that he had before. We're talking about comics, so we need to use this kind of terminology. The superpower. The I superpower he had before <laughs> that he that he said, "What what do you do then?" You know, when you get an accident, you know that was still is still in him, and it's manifesting itself beautifully. Um, Sometimes uh, uh, even painfully, yeah. uh, you know, in uh, in in the, the work that we're doing these days. I mean, the poor guy. I, you went through that. <laughs> it it's been a, a lot, right? A, I mean, a, it's a crucible just to. He's been working on what color. He's co- doing all the coloring for this. And is is this being done by hand or digitally? I don't. This is this exposes how little yes I know and yes both. Okay, all my part is by hand. And Andrew does the digital coloring, but you know, there's colors is such a, an an important part of that uh, of a of a image because it conveys the mood. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, it, it's not it's not simple. It's a big deal. So we we've kind of talked around the project a lot. <laughs> what is Pillar of Light? Tell us what it is. Uh, Pillar of Light is a is a graphic novel, which uh, I like that term, comic book, graphic novel. Graphic novel sounds a little more serious. <laughs> yeah, and, and we need to be clear for people who don't. The first time I heard graphic novel, I assume that meant it was graphic in nature, like something we shouldn't watch. This is wholly appropriate. However, graphic novel just means the graphics of it. Yeah. So it's it's a more grown-up version of a comic book. Yeah, same as comic books. Yeah, same they're, thing they're as not comic. always comic. Sure, they're know, not always or, or comical. comical, but they yeah. used to, and they originated the term. It's okay, I know comedians yeah. who are not always comical, yeah. even, when <laughs> even when trying. Yeah. But so it's a graphic novel. It's a comic book about. It's about Joseph Smith's first vision, and the idea behind it is uh, to show uh, there were four primary accounts, and then there's four or five, depending on how you want to count, secondary accounts of people who heard Joseph Smith tell the story. And the idea was, let's put them together, let's combine all the accounts, all the details, and let's tell the story in that powerful medium of the sequential art of a graphic novel, um, and let's, let's let it be a missionary tool that helps to tell this story, um, touch the youth, touch adults that like uh, graphic novel and, and art like that, and and let it be... A missionary tool. Let it be powerful, um, because the story uh, we get kind of a peripheral version of the story a lot, and um, and you miss certain key details. That certain details can totally change your point of view on a story when you knew this part that you didn't know before. And um, by putting those all together into one visual book like this, it really, I believe, has the power to reach a portion of uh, the Latter Day Saint audience that um, will allow the spirit to touch people, especially youth, um, about this, uh, this important event. And it's been said by 
um, multiple prophets that this is the most important historical event that has happened since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And to add to the serendipity, serendipitousness of it, I had been talking off and on with Sal about trying to do this, and his schedule wasn't right and it hadn't worked out. And it finally had this little opening, and, and he committed to start doing it. And then, I think it was like two weeks later or something, I see some post that's like, oh, yeah, 2020 is the 200th anniversary of the first vision. And I'm like... Oh, yeah, of course. Boom. 2020 vision for the first vision. <laughs> I mean, what, what other hints can you get? So the process, you must have had to do, Andrew, a, a ton of research to kind of get ready. Were you, were you kind of a Joseph Smith scholar before this project? <laughs> Well, kind of, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I'm not trying to brag, but I served my mission in Ohio, it, it, where Kirtland, Ohio. Sure. I, I, li- I, I knocked doors in Painesville, Ohio, where Joseph Smith mm. was tried, and, and I, I kind of caught this passion for Joseph Smith's history. Yeah. And so I had been passionate about it before, and, um, and, and I'm, I'm a stickler for, for accuracy. And so um, I had had a passion for these, especially the first vision. Um, I had done a lot of research, and the church has thankfully made a lot of this stuff available to anyone who wants sure. to read. And so, yeah, I had done that, and I had been reading through those four accounts, and when I did that first strip script back in 2003, um, it was based on the idea of, of being accurate, keeping the details from all the accounts, and and, uh, and showing it and portraying it in a way that would be historically um, right and not cut corners you can't show everything and say everything, of course. so you have to edit certain things. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of was, and I, I actually, you know, in that, what do you do when you can only paint a little bit? I actually had done other some, I've done some realistic paintings of Joseph Smith in Carthage Jail and mm. Liberty Jail, and you know, um, so I, I had spent a lot of time studying it and and praying about it, and you know, no one's perfect, and I don't have a you know corner on the market of Joseph Smith, but. You know, I think when Heavenly Father finds somebody who, who is really trying their best to do it the way that would represent him and his church and, and his prophet, I think he, he helps, you know. It doesn't mean that everything we do is, is exactly what he would do, but I think he helps magnify whatever mm. we do have to give um, so that it, it's, it comes across. Spirituality and art is this crazy thing. For you look, sure. You look Absolutely. At, you look at pictures mm. of Christ that can be painted in different ways, and you can get a feeling from it that isn't necessarily directly connected to the rendering. Absolutely. Something about the Creator comes into it. Totally agree. Sal, when you are doing the illustration, how much is that a responsibility? People are going to see... I mean, I've, I've been to the Sacred Grove. I've, I've done a lot of that history. I've been there many times. But I wasn't there in 1820 for the first vision. How much of a responsibility is that when you're, you know, how, how much pressure do you put on yourself to try to get this right? Yeah, it's a big responsibility to the point that it's scary. Mm. Um, to the point that uh, you have to do things over and over again to get it just right. Yeah. And uh, to the point that, uh, you know, the inspiration doesn't come that easy. Yeah. You, have, you get some rough idea of what you want to do, and then you have to polish it and polish right. it. And yeah. uh, so uh, just to give an example, yeah. you know, my, my responsibility, like you were talking about, is to make this 
believable, visually believable. When people um, open the first two pages of this graphic novel, they're going to see um, young Joseph Smith just coming out of the experience of the first vision. It starts with the end, and then it goes in flashback, okay? Wow. But Joseph Smith is surrounded by the trees of what we call the Sacred Grove, which happened to be part of the Smith's family farm. And it, it is surrounded by different kinds of trees, including a lot of maple trees. And some of these trees, the maple trees are the trees that we get the, the maple sugar in, 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 the, in the stuff we put on pancakes. Yeah, the syrup. Mm-hmm. Maple syrup. And uh, you're going to see that some of these trees have some snow on the ground. And uh, there is uh, a, a, a clearing of trees that it's, they've been cut recently. On one of these trees, there's an axe that is just right there on the stump of this tree. And uh, they're going to wonder what's going on. <laughs> you know, why? what about these maple trees? I didn't know anything about maple trees until I met Andrew. And he told me about his research. And he's going to tell you in a second. And, and he's going to tell you about, you know, that snow on the ground is going to tell you about that axe on the stump. And these are all details that come from the accounts and they come from other sources and create the believability. It's huh. believable. It's understandable. Yeah. I'm going to let and Andrew talk yeah. about that. So uh, before I answer that question, I want to share this quote, which I think talks about why Sal would never call himself the Mormon Michelangelo <laughs> now we might have to call him the Latter-day Saint Leonardo. But <laughs> this is the quote. This is from, uh, it's from Boyd K. Packer, and this is part of what he's talking about. He says, It is a mistake to assume that one can follow the ways of the world and then somehow, in a moment of intruded inspiration, compose a great anthem of the Restoration, or in a moment of singular inspiration, paint the great painting. When it is done, it will be done by one who has yearned and tried and longed fervently to do it not by one who has condescended to do it Mm. it will take quite as much preparation and work as any masterpiece and a different kind of inspiration um so sal's inspiration all the work that goes behind this it's not something we're we're taking lightly um so yeah uh the research talks about joseph smith said he was clearing uh wood had left it left his axe in a stump and he went back to where he had been working um, the Smith Farm, uh, they had 500 maple trees that at least that had taps in them that they took the syrup from. Mm. And um, chances are there's a lot of indication that they, uh, the way maple syrup is real quick is it depends on the weather. It has to be cold and then it gets warm. And it does this weird thing where it reverses pressure and the sap runs up the tree and then out the taps. Mm. So um, they had to harvest this maple sap, make maple sugar. They produce about 1,000 pounds a year of maple sugar and they either used it or traded for it. It's a big part of their uh, family's income. Um, so chances are, it looks like Joseph, when the, when the maple sap does flow, which is based on the weather, you have to collect it immediately and you have to refine it immediately or it sours. You can't mm. store it. So, um, they have to burn, they had to burn about 10,000 pounds of wood to refine the maple sap to get the syrup out of it. 
And so chances are he was clearing wood to burn um, to keep the fires burning. They had to keep burning sometimes <laughs> 24 hours straight, sometimes 48 hours straight, depending on how much maple sap they had collected. I don't um, know any of this. That's amazing. Yeah, super hardworking family. And uh, it looks like from the, the research we had, um, some other people researched and found the weather reports from a guy near Palmyra had kept the weather temperature three times a day and the snowfall and the cloud cover and everything. And it looks like uh, the Smith family had just finished one of these marathon maple syrup refinement mm-hmm. things just during that same early spring period. And uh, strong indications Joseph had been working, chopping wood to fuel the fires. And, and that happens to be a Sunday when they're finished. And so everybody's having a rest anyway. And there's very strong indications that that, that Sunday was when he had the first vision was when he went out after this. Because you went alone and everybody else was not, there was nobody Nobody else working. working. How incredible Mm. to take all these details. And I mean, obviously some of this is, I mean, we're pulling from lots of different sources. There's some speculation to it, but to, I just love that you pay such attention and such love to doing everything that we can. I mean, truthfully, all of the, the stories we have, of Christ's ministry. It's, you know, it's the same thing. We pull it from four different direct gospels as well as some inspiration and things to try to paint these pictures. But the reverence you are both showing to Joseph Smith is what's going to make a difference. The audience is now chomping at the bit going, okay, enough already. How do I get my hands on the graphic novel, the comic book, uh, Pillar of Light? How do I get that? Well, the cool thing is, is that it's going to be free online. Um, it's not finished yet, so we're still working on it. But you can actually see it as we go. So as opposed to having to wait till the whole thing is done, you're getting to see it now. So it's different in that way. Um, you can go to ldscomicbooks.com. ldscomicbooks.com. You can also go to Facebook, and if you just type in... Um, the making of Pillar of Light. You'll find a Facebook group where we're posting little interesting things we're learning while we're doing this, and we're doing some commentary videos talking about some of the things that we've talked about with you, um, so they can find it that way. Mm. Um, but uh, the pages are posted right now. All 10 pages are, are posted at ldscomicbooks.com, and uh, as we do them, we, we release them. So even though we'll have a finished date, in a way, it's it's kind of finishing, and people are getting to see it and kind of indirectly experience with us as we're as we're creating it because unlike some projects where the whole thing is sometimes laid out in advance like when sal's talking about his animation that he worked on they would lay out the entire thing we have a a, a semi-rough layout and a plan and a a script but as we go we are both getting um ideas that come to us sometimes late at night sometimes early saying, hey, what about this? You left this detail out. What about this? Tweak this. Awesome. And so sometimes that's meant we've added some pages where we didn't have them. Um, One example was I I felt like we should add um, a page about Joseph Smith's mother. She has a very Mm. powerful experience where she almost dies. Um, This is when she only had three children, um, and she is told she's going to die. And she prays and makes a covenant with God and says, if you'll spare my life, I'll serve you. And, and let me stay alive and take care of my family, and I, will, I promise I'll serve you. And she hears a voice that comes to her and says, uh, you know, basically you believe in God, believe also in me. Seek and you shall find. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall mm. be opened unto you. And she's miraculously healed. Awesome. And she had to have shown that, she had to have shared that experience with her children 
the, that she had been healed and that uh, God had told her to seek. So we get ideas like that. Um, you'd ask the process. We kind of didn't get to the answer. Basically, we start with the, the script as a research, as a beginning. Sal does roughs from that, uh, rough sketches. Yeah. Then he shows it to me. We talk about it. Then um, once we get that nailed down, then he does a final pencil. Then after the final pencils, maybe usually not many tweaks at that point, but there may be a few. Then he does what's called inking, where he covers the whole all the pencils in black and white, well, black ink, yeah, so that it scans and reads very clear. Awesome. Um, then from there it goes to coloring, which I'm doing, um, and we go back and forth. Sal's art directing all the coloring, so I'm executing uh, his color ideas. And then after that, then you letter it. You put the the text boxes on, which sometimes we have revisions. After all the writing, we have still one word here doesn't quite work. Let's change this one word or tweak this one word here or or move where this is to lead the, the viewer's eye. And that's basically how a page gets created. That's incredible. We're we're about at time, but I got to say, you guys were kind enough to bring me a preview. I, I have the first ten pages printed right here in front of me. I was able to leaf through it before the interview. Stunning, gorgeous, incredible. You need to go check this out. Again, the project is called uh, Pillar of Light, and it is. I'm excited to see the whole thing in print. I'm not a big uh, comic book graphic novel guy. I will be for this. Absolutely. Uh, this has just been awesome. I love your passion. I love your dedication for it. Super inspiring. Uh, we are going to wrap up the conversation. I didn't prep you guys for this, so this will be really exciting. Uh we end all of our conversations with the same question for every one of our guests. And that question is, what does being a member of the church mean to you? And I'll let either of you take that first. You, uh, Sal just Like in the beginning, Andrew. we're pointing that's, to each other. That's true, but Sal, you we, went, we you went first like at the beginning. Begun. So, okay. Andrew, what does being a member of the church um, mean to you? Boy, you know, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's hard to summarize, but uh, I... I feel like it's it's woven into my fab the fabric of who I am. Um I I think I've had a testimony since the I don't ever remember not having a testimony. Um and so uh it affects my whole life. It affects my view of life, it affects my what I choose to do with my free time, it affects how I try to treat people. It sets a standard for trying to be better, a better person. Um mm. and uh I feel like it's it's it I can't separate who I am from my membership in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Awesome. Fantastic. Sal? Well, if you think about it, the church is just an organization. Um to me it's important to have the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life as a, an example of how a life should be lived. An example, an example to pursue, and uh, it's it's important to understand the the role of the of the Holy Ghost of God of Christ in your life as a uh, a partner that mm. can can help you. I I use being a comic book artist. I I use the example. You know, how strong would you be by yourself? And how strong would you be if you and the Incredible Hulk were together, or you and Superman were together? Of course, you know uh, it's kind of a little bit uh, blasphemous, you know, to compare that to God. But the strength in our life comes 
by us living together with God. That's the only way. That's what it's called perfection. It's called to be complete. Uh, the, the, the way of living our life with God is what makes a difference, and that's what it means to me. Oh, incredible answers. They are in, like just amazing illustrators, artists. I mean, all of the above, all of the things that have to do with creating true art. And they are taking the story of Joseph Smith and turning it into a graphic novel that I think is going to touch a whole lot of lives. Andrew Sal, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Lives with us. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And my special thanks to Sal Valuto and Andrew Knopp. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with these men. And I'll tell you something that was kind of surprising to me was, you know, here we were going to talk about this incredible artwork that they're doing. And yet what surprised me was how spiritual the conversation was. The spirit in the room was just incredible. And they are so passionate about this beautiful work that they're doing. I absolutely love it. It was an honor to meet them. Please go check them out. By the way, they also have a GoFundMe uh, that you can check out. We're going to share links. Be sure you're following that on social media. Uh, This week uh, in my Latter-day life, we had a a really cool Sunday. We actually had just a great Sabbath uh, this past week, and we had just, church was great, you know, coming back from uh, conference, and then when we got home, we had several of our children over for Sunday dinner, and not all of our children were able to make it, but uh, two of our children who did, two of our daughters brought to their roommates with them, which was just fun. And then a kid from the ward who has not been home from his mission for very long, he came over with them. And we had this just big, loud, fun Sunday dinner with, with all these incredible young men and young women and our two, our two teenagers as well. I call them young men, young women. They're in their 20s, but uh, them and our teenagers. And at the end, it, I was just so enjoying time uh, with with all these people I love so much, I asked everybody to come into our living room and to sit down. And I said, I, I just, I want to talk because it's the Sabbath. And before we do family prayer all together, I said, I'm curious to know what is one thing you really love about the Savior? And I was curious because here are, you know, I call them kids they're my kids, but they're in their young 20s, uh, as well as my, my two teenagers. And they're such a different generation than I am. I was just curious to know what their answers would be. And they all sat pondering for a minute. And then they started answering. And one of my young teenagers, who is very, very secure and just a great young man, he said, he's always there for us. And I could see the conviction in his eyes as he was saying it. One of my daughter's friends said, I love the unconditional love which I thought was so beautiful. He is unconditional love. Uh, One of my other daughter's friends said, without him, we wouldn't have the atonement. Another great answer. And then my son David said, he's a great example. Simple, beautiful. And then one of my daughters, who I know has struggled with her self-worth, said, I love him because he is forgiving. And I knew that that mattered a lot to her in that moment. And then one of our sons who we adopted, who lost his mom shortly after we adopted him. And then just a year later, lost his father said, I love him because we can see family that has passed away. Uh, 
because of him. And then one of our daughters, who we adopted when she was a teenager, said, I love him because he gave me my family. And finally, the young man who recently returned from a mission said, I just agree with everyone else. (laughs) And it was amazing how individually each person shared something that was so personal to them. And I realized that I love the atonement, and I love Jesus Christ because of everyone who was sitting around me. I love these people so much, and I love that he works with them when I can't, when, when I can't be there for them, that he is, and that he's still there for me. I love the Savior, and it was just an amazing Sabbath. We went and delivered some treats. Uh, we had a great Come Follow Me It was just wonderful. And to spend those few minutes with my children, it was just priceless. That's what the Savior means to each of us. And that's the beauty of the atonement and of Jesus Christ, is that it's for each and every one of us independently. I love him, I love my family, and I love all of you. And that is what is happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you can think of anyone that would enjoy the show, if you could share it, we'd appreciate it. And also, if you get a chance to leave us a review, we will thank you on the show. Those reviews are what helps people to find the program. And we have to flood the world. If we're going to build the kingdom, we have to flood the earth with great content like the saints who come on and and share their stories here on this show. So until we meet again... There is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.